All right. Well, welcome, everybody. I'm really excited to have this conversation with each of you. We have, of course, just gone through a whole series on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus's central teaching that we find in Matthew chapters five and six and seven. And I thought for our last installment in this series that it might be good to have a little bit of a dialogue about it. So rather than just me you know, talking uh, endlessly, as some people have characterized uh, in your direction. I thought maybe we could have a little bit of a dialogue about how Jesus's Sermon on the Mount has been landing with each of us. So today, what I have for us is a little bit of a panel, uh, folks from the Oceanside Sanctuary who are joining us to have this conversation. So I'm just going to go around the circle real quick and introduce everybody, and then we'll jump into our discussion for today. So first, we have Nathan Short, elder and board member. Welcome, Nathan. How are you? Doing well. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. And you're joining us from the library in where? Czech Republic. But The Czech Republic. All right. <laughs> but really, my, my exercise bike at home. <laughs> well, I'm really glad that the Wi-Fi connection in Czech, the Czech Republic is really good. So that's helpful. Uh, and then just sort of going around the circle as I see them, we have Rich Franks as well, member from Temecula, California. Thanks so much for joining us, Rich. Thanks for having me, Jason. I too am in my library in Temecula. <laughs> Not quite as good as Nathan, but it'll have I mean, to be. I mean, it's a decent library, Rich. I, pre I appreciate you joining us from the library. Yeah. And then again, uh, going around the circle next, we have Tina Edwards, also board member and elder at Oceanside Sanctuary. Welcome, Dr. Tina Edwards. How are you? Hey, I'm good. And uh, as you can see, I'm always uh, here in my library in the Edwards Republic. Uh, this is actually about a tenth of my library, just so you know. This is hardly any of it, actually. Yeah, actually, most of your books are like downstairs, if I remember. Yeah, right. in but... boxes, actually. In the ground. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, well, thanks for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate you being a part of this conversation. And then last, but obviously certainly not least, is Janelle Coker, Family Minister at the Oceanside Sanctuary. Thanks for joining us, Janelle. Good to be here. All right. Well, today what I thought we could do is just kind of reflect a little bit on what we have been discussing as a church for the past 12 weeks or so. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, which I have said is Jesus is central teaching. And so for us to be followers of Jesus, for us to say that we're Christians, followers of Jesus, I think it's important that we take seriously this teaching in Matthew chapters five and six and seven, that really is the center of everything that Jesus said and did. And so really my question for this group is how has the Sermon on the Mount really been hitting you? You know, what is it that has been inspiring you from it? Or maybe what's been sort of challenging you or, or maybe even rubbing you the wrong way, you know, that, that as we have gone through this series has really uh, maybe prompted you to stretch your thinking or stretch your faith in some way. So my short version of that question is, how's the Sermon on the Mount stirring your heart? Uh, so I thought I'd just lay that question out there and uh, have a little discussion about it. So who would like to go first? I'd, I'd love to chime in. Um, with uh, actually what I'd emailed you about, uh, Jason, mm -hmm. with uh, listening to your sermons through the lens of my children, mm -hmm. and particularly uh, one of the the uh, 
keys uh, to our uh, uh, living being being whole and uh, treating each other with kindness. The the kids understood that uh, it was when you'd stated uh, uh, the the lessons of Sermon on the Mount are uh, directed toward being right with God. And mm. so my my three children asked, what does that mean? What does it mm. mean to be right with God? And that that's where we really got our discussion going. And what it really came down to with these these lessons from Jesus, these uh, the key pieces that we tried to uh, convey to them was that it it it's love, compassion, and selflessness are really the the message here to to uh, to to goodness. And I mean, if uh, I mean, if that if if that's th that's the rock that I want to you know build build my church on um, yeah. is that that kind of foundation and. I think that's where the Sermon on the Mount really uh, holds a lot of water. And um, that's where you have that narrow path. That's the, na the narrow gate. Um. Well, and I just love that you, so I know this, you know, because I know you guys, right? Like you are watching remotely, you're, uh, you, know, you guys have a bunch of young kids waiting for them to be fully vaccinated. And so I love that you guys are like reading this and hearing all this through their eyes. And I love that they are like listening and engaging with it and asking these like hard questions. Cause I have to admit, like if a kid asked me, what does it mean to be right with God? I would be like, uh, I mean, I have an answer for that, but like answering somebody who's younger, like that's kind of where the rubber meets the road. Like if you can't give a simple, straightforward answer, then do you really understand it? Right. Other thoughts on that? Like, how's this series hitting you guys? What's sort of stirring your heart? What's sort of stirring your imagination around this series? Well, I oh, go ahead, Rich. I, I appreciate Nathan's reference to it as foundational, and it kind of goes along with um, what you've always talked about, Jason, as you know, these are the core teachings of Jesus. And I remember you you mentioning that. Um, over a year ago when I was in your how to read the Bible class, I think it was. And um, that was really helpful for me considering how much the Bible, I forget what the term is, but you know, you pick out just the verses that suit you out of the Bible and um, proof, oh, forget what it's called, proof texting? No, anyway. Yeah. Um, okay. And, and to, to have these teachings in the Sermon on the Mount kind of as the foundational, the reference point, or that, that lens through which everything else has to pass um, has been very helpful for me um, in, in how I read the whole Bible. Mm. So I, I just, is it okay if I press in a little bit on that, Rich? Like how, can you give an example of how that's been helpful? Because I think I know what you mean, because that's been true for me too. Like to think about the, the core teachings of Jesus as a lens through which I read everything else. But I'm wondering like practically, how does that play out for you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess um, I can summarize it pretty easily in a book that we read in the book club in the past year. 
which was titled Love Matters More. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so much in Christianity, there, there seems to be sometimes a tension between um, love and truth. You know, what is, what is right? What is the truth? And make sure we're not in error, um, which is good. There's a place for that. But that truth and making sure you're adhering to that truth and that right doctrine has to um, be, be uh, passed through that lens or be sub- subjected to the love that Jesus teaches us and, and the, the humility and the mercy um, that I get from the Sermon on the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. One of the most important ones for me personally is his teaching on worry. Mm. And a lot of my life is, especially earlier, has been struggling with worry. Um, but I would often, like especially in college, just substitute, you know, how much can you add, how many points can you add to your, your final exam score by worrying? And so I, you know, I kind of substitute those words uh, to apply to my specific um, application. And that's, that's another way it's been very relevant for me. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's uh, an excellent point. I think that thinking about Jesus's teachings as like actually practical to like issues in life, like anxiety or worry is for me, um, really helpful because I think we have a tendency to sort of abstract Jesus in a way like Jesus is only applicable to this sort of like cosmic problem of sin and dying for our sins and satisfying like God's wrath or, or something like that along the lines of a, an atonement theory. But the idea that like what Jesus has to say, the, the way of life that he gives us can actually have an immediate impact on things as practical as anxiety or worry really sort of uh, revolutionizes Jesus in my eyes. Like he becomes somebody that I can actually listen to and trust with daily things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And apply it to my life. Yeah. Right. All right. Anybody else? So what's, what's sticking with you Yeah, Tina? Um, Whenever I, I think of the Beatitudes, and I really have always thought that this is the heart of Christian faith. And I think that if if we all acted this way, in accordance with these teaching, there would be no need for evangelism. Mm. Because everybody would see what we're doing and the, the fruits of our labors, and the good news would be obvious. So, and I know this is where I really struggle, because it's it's really counter- to my native political beliefs, much of what's in the Beatitudes. And it, yeah. it's, you. I mean, to read into it, it's like, you know, my family thinks I'm a flaming liberal and I'm like, but like, what is it here? And so, yeah. uh, you know, it's like, look, it's not that I like it because I don't, I like being wealthy. It's good for me, but <laughs> But unfortunately, there's this thing right here that says all this stuff. So I think um, really emphasizing that Christianity should be known by its deeds. There's all this talk about how you're saved by faith, right? And I think that completely loses sight of what we're supposed to be doing, which is really bringing about heaven on earth. 
Mm-hmm. And the Beatitudes is really the, the blueprint for doing that. Um, and I, you know, this may be my newest heresy, I don't know. Uh, but I, I think that it is possible to make earth much more like heaven. Um, and the way to do it is to treat other people the way you want to be treated, or even more so the way they want to be treated to, to a point, because a lot of people want to be treated to my, my cash. I don't want to treat them <laughs> to my cash, but, but, you know, to some point like taxation and so on is a, you know, means of, of doing good works in the community to, as a Christian, to oppose that seems to me to be actually opposing what we're supposed to be doing and to say, oh, well, yeah. it's just on you, you know, you, as a private citizen, it's like, well, that doesn't, I don't think that really jives with this. Um, and so that's how I, I really have to wrestle with the Beatitudes on the daily um, to, to modify my own natural behavior and thought processes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually appreciate you sort of bringing it back to the Beatitudes because um, of all the things in the Sermon on the Mount, I feel like the Beatitudes are the most confrontational in a sense. Like, you know, it is the poor, the hated, the despised, the outcast that Jesus says are blessed, right? And then I, I think that, I think about how we often try to turn the Beatitudes into a kind of like stairway, you know, to merit, like, you know, we have to somehow like become poor in spirit in order to be blessed, right? We have to become mourn mourners in order to be blessed. We have to become meek in order to be blessed. And that takes the Beatitudes and turns them into a kind of like, you know, way that we can earn God's favor. When the more straightforward reading of that is, all the people that the world has rejected and pushed aside are the ones that God has come for. Um, and that's much more offensive because well, that's not me, right? Like I'm comfortable and I'm relatively, relatively well off compared, you know, like on a global scale. And so if God has come for those who are marginalized and oppressed and hated and reviled, then I have to reckon with the fact that, that uh, God is centering people other than me, right? And that's uncomfortable. For me, it is. I think uh, when I think about it, um, the thing that comes to mind most often is what if, what if literally everyone is saved and there's no distinguishing, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, everybody's saved. How does that change how I act as a Christian? And it's, definitely a struggle to think about that like Mm. i'm not special at all Mm. Uh, but i'm also special because i'm loved by god but then Mm. so is a child molester super difficult struggle right that's good very good in that in that sense i've always looked at um uh distance from god being being something that might uh, be impacted by shame, and that's where, you know, the the Jesus speaks to serving. You can't serve two houses with you know God or money, and I think I imagine my my life being done and looking back, and my closeness to God would be probably impacted by one of shame. What could I have done more? What could I have done better? Um, 
and that that would likely be self-inflicted even to a a completely forgiving god well that's a i mean that's a really interesting point too because you could i think very you could make the argument that the beatitudes are jesus's way of showing that shame does not uh keep people from being close to god right like it's the people who exist in the most shameful conditions that God is drawing close to, right? Poverty, mourning, meekness, uh, people who are hungry for righteousness and justice, but never get it, right? Like, I mean, that is sort of a list of people who are cursed. Um, and in many respects, like we heap shame upon, and that is who God is drawing close to. I mean, again, like, I mean, just a reiterate tina's point like i I feel like if there's like if the if the sermon on the mount is the center of jesus's teaching then the beatitudes are the center of the sermon on the mount if that makes sense you know like they're a kind of like distillation of jesus's entire teachings what about you janelle anything that's sort of challenging you or inspiring you or sticking with you from from this series so i actually really enjoyed taking the time and going through it um, for these weeks that that we went through it, instead of a quick teaching on just the Beatitudes or a quick teaching on, you know, where to build your house. And I think the thing that struck me was the balance of it all, which is something that I hadn't seen. So, you know, we see in the beginning, we see the Lord's Prayer and then a talk of fasting. So give us this day our daily bread and then talking about, about fasting or um, not building up, you know, not worrying about what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat, but make sure you just ask for what you need. There, there's this great kind of balance there. And I think like Rich, for me, the um, thing that's been really sticking to me is I have always taken the sorry my phone's ringing um (laughs) i have always taken the worry passages i am a planner i am a worrier and i'm an anxious person as tina said like back in the day when we were all hunters and gatherers there had to be somebody running around going i don't think we have enough for the winter i don't think we have enough for the winter and tina said that would be you And I, and I really like thought a lot about this. And what I loved was again, back to the balance. Don't worry about what you should wear, but build your house on a rock. Mm. So this, this, this uh, idea of balance in that planning is not worrying. And then I love how in the end of that passage, Jesus says, um, there's enough worry for today. Like, so he, so, so there isn't a like, you shouldn't be worried about anything. But you know, if you, if God really is giving us what we can handle, well, I know that I can't handle all of the anxiety that I'm thinking, well, what if, and what if, and what if, and ruminating and ruminating on the what ifs. If I, if I'm being a good planner and separating the planning from the worrying, and then just dealing with the here and now and being present in my life right this second to deal with what I have to deal with, 
I really, that sets me in a place where I really do believe, believe that God has given me the tools or someone next to me in my church community that has the tools to help me handle what I'm facing today. Mm-hmm. And so I just love that. I think in the past, I have seen this as do this, do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that. And what I saw in this kind of slow process of going through it together as a community was just the, the balance of it all, that, that, that it makes sense not to worry, but also to plan, mm-hmm. to ask for what you need, but don't build up a bunch of treasures in on earth. You know, just this beautiful balance that I've never seen in these passages before really yeah. kind of came to light for me. Well, it occurs to me, like given just your comment about balance, that so much of what Jesus has to say in the Sermon on the Mount is not a condemnation of worry. It's not a condemnation even of like anger or sexual desire or the desire to uh, have security. It's when those things become our master, right? It's when those things control us. And so there is this balance in the sense that, you know, anger can be expressed righteously. Sexual desire can be a good thing. Um, Planning for the future is important. But when those things control you rather than you controlling them, that's when they become destructive elements in our lives. And it brings me to mind, like Jesus's talk about giving and prayer and fasting and, and what we talked about with like spiritual practices. And I love like that you have all spoken about this in very practical terms, like in terms of your day-to-day lives. And so I'm wondering in practical terms, you know, Jesus teaches that it's these spiritual practices that help us to be the masters of these desires rather than be mastered by them, right? So on that note, I'm wondering like what you are all doing with this idea that it's learning to practice these spiritual routines that teach us to be the master of our desires, right? Like, so for you, what is giving, prayer, fasting, like what are your spiritual practices that have been helpful to you in being shaped in a way that is good or like, you know, as Nathan Nathan and Tara's kids have said, like loving, compassionate, selfless, what are the practices that help you do that? I guess is my question. Well, not yelling at my child. (laughs) And reducing the sarcasm level by 10% easily. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 10%. So I think for me, definitely always an entry point is practicing charity, mm. giving, giving, being involved in the pantry or um, showing kindness to someone else, I think is a is an important kind of, in some ways, like highly um, makes you feel good place mm-hmm. to start. I think again, for me, like one of the things I'm really just trying to do is uh, with regarding that worry component is just try to be present in what I'm doing. So mm-hmm. if, it's, if it's 
cooking or listening to a friend, actually not letting my mind go on to other things, but really try to engage in the thing that I'm doing. And I think right now that kind of living daily life in that presence is the best way that I feel God. I think uh, prayer is probably the practice that I lean on the most where uh, it, when things are overwhelming, giving, giving it up to God is, is so helpful. Um, that's, that's been something that's helped me through my whole life. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll give a very practical example of the spiritual practice of just giving generosity. I think for many years, I was a slave to the idea of how much to give for a tip. <laughs> yeah, I know it's, it's crazy, but when I just decided, you know, I'm going to err on the side of giving a little too much. I don't know what the exact right amount is, but I'm going to always just make sure that, that I walk away thinking, hmm, did I give too much? I'd much rather do that than walking away thinking, did I give too little? Because I walk away thinking, did I give too much? That's actually very freeing. Mm -hmm. good That's one. good. I think for me, it really comes out in my in the practice of medicine and uh, particularly now where um, people are coming in uh, with a disease process that's easily preventable and it's their it's often their political beliefs but not always sometimes it's other issues that have other sources of fear uh, and really leaning into where they're coming from and treating them with compassion you know not not judging them for not getting the vaccination or in other cases, you know, for not taking care of their diabetes, whatever it is, yeah. um, really trying to, to treat them as I think God would want me to treat them. Mm -hmm. uh, or as if they were my own brother or sister, I think there's where I get the best practice in terms of spiritual practices of, of living righteously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the things I really love about all the examples you guys shared is that each of you spoke, uh, whether you meant to or not, you, you really spoke to the intention or the mindfulness that was a part of your practice. And so, you know, for Janelle, being engaged in helping people who are in need and really very intentionally connecting that to, you know, uh, to to really wanting to connect with God, right? Or Nathan prayer, really being conscious of like giving over. Like, I think that's actually the phrase you used, right? Like giving over the things that you can't control to God, right? This person that you have to trust um, or for rich, like really intentionally thinking about tipping, like, you know, in, in what sense is this an act of generosity and therefore becomes a very conscious effort. And I just love that Tina connected it to her vocation, right? Because to me, that's really powerful. This idea that what you do every day can be a legitimate and valid expression of our spirituality. If we are mindful about it, 
if we think about it in that way. Um, so I really appreciate how you all, uh, again, whether you meant to or not, really kind of connected that to a sense of intention or mindfulness. I, I will say just to be kind of the weird one on this conversation, that the, the spiritual practice that has probably impacted me the most in my life has been fasting. It has been taking times in my life where I intentionally didn't eat. And I use that abstaining from food to reflect on my own desires, like the way that my appetites or my desires were in control of me. And to me, that's the point of fasting is when you deny a bodily desire, it becomes really obvious how that's a metaphor for other things in your life, right? Like that we have these internal desires that can oftentimes be broken and destructive. And if we can learn to deny our appetites or our desires, then we become, you know, really powerful over ourselves. Uh, and that really is an important spiritual uh, lesson to learn. Well, we are already out of time. So I just want to thank you guys, each one of you for joining us for this conversation. I hope that this has been fun for you in some way to like just process a little bit about uh, what we've been learning about. I'm hoping that it's helpful for people who are attending church online as well. So just want to wrap it up by saying thank you to everybody. Um, uh, maybe go in reverse. Thanks, Janelle, for joining us tonight. And thanks for Tina and uh, Rich and Nathan. Thanks for bringing your thoughts and insights and perspectives on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I will see you guys all soon. All right. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Have a good night.